episode 14 of the Ideal Nutrition Podcast. I'm your host, Leah Heigl, and I'm here with my co-host, Aidan Muell. Um, and today we will be discussing the use of creatine monohydrate. So creatine is a non-protein amino acid that can be found in a range of different animal foods, but it is particularly found in things like your red meat and your seafood. And then obviously it comes in a supplement form too. And that's what we'll be talking about today. So creatine is really versatile in how it can be used. So it can be used when we're thinking about athletic performance, um, muscle building, but it can also be used in regards to brain health, which is a really interesting application of creatine. Within our body, creatine combines with phosphate to create phosphocreatine, which is then used for energy production. So by increasing our stores of, of creatine in our body, we're actually able to produce energy in a more efficient way because we have more of that phosphocreatine. So whilst you can get creatine from your animal foods, if we're really looking for the, the benefits that come from a high amount of creatine, supplementation is absolutely the best way to do it. And the way I think about it in terms of how can it help is I think about it in terms of like, you know how you've got aerobic and anaerobic kind of metabolism in terms of like aerobic is that kind of like longer distance oxygen requiring activity and anaerobic is that kind of short, sharp burst. Phosphocreatine or ATP, ATP is an energy source that is used for like the first 10 seconds of activity and having higher phosphocreatine stores in your body, which could be due to creatine supplementation, allows you to produce ATP more rapidly. So that allows you to kind of really recover a little bit quicker between sets and perform a little bit better on those types of activities. Anything that is a short, sharp burst of activity, basically. And Obviously, because we care about lifting, that's the easiest way we can think about it. I, I used to always talk about it in terms of it's like a 2 to 3% kind of boost. And like, I don't like overhyping supplements either, but like I, creatine is probably like it's the most well-studied and most consistently beneficial supplement. But I don't like overhyping things. But as I was going down the rabbit hole again, like in prep for this podcast, because obviously I've been reading about creatine for like, it's been a decade now, it's been a long time. Um, but going deep down that rabbit hole again, I started looking for specific numbers and I realized like I knew this, but like it's not a two to 3% benefit It's actually more on average. So the biggest meta-analysis on this topic showed that in terms of what you'd expect for improvements in a one rep max, five rep max, eight rep max and 10 rep max after using creatine for a, a decent period of time is about an 8% improvement. 8% is so huge for a supplement. Yeah, it's massive. Like not many supplements will give you that big of an improvement. And in terms of at a specific load, the improvement you'd expect in terms of the number of reps you could perform is about 14% increase. So like that's another decent improvement as well. Obviously, you've got to keep in mind these are averages and you've got to keep in mind who's in these studies. Like they're not exactly like well-trained participants all the time. Like um, obviously, we work with a lot of powerlifters and stuff like that. I, I don't truly believe that if we give a powerlifter who's been training a long period of time creatine that a couple of weeks later, their one rep max is going to be 8% better. Like I don't think of it like if somebody could bench 150 kilos, I don't think of it taking it up to like, I don't know, like 170 or something like it. Yeah, 100%. It's a bit, <laughs> bit unrealistic, but like it is actually a pretty decent benefit. And the other thing that's pretty clear, and although it's hard to interpret, is that muscle growth actually increases in these studies. Like if you take creatine for 12 weeks, you probably gain more muscle than if you didn't take creatine at all. But it's hard to interpret in these studies because there's this increase in water weight, that intracellular increase in water. It's not all intracellular, but that intracellular stuff is what we call about 
in, that is lean mass. Like that is an increase in lean mass. So if you look at a study that shows somebody gained one kilo of lean mass, for example, who's to say how much is water and how much is like actual muscle as well? Yeah, 100%. And I think I'm, I'm probably more sold on the fact that if you take creatine and that allows you to provide more stimulus to the muscle, then long-term it makes sense that you would gain more muscle mass. Um, but yeah, I think that's a really interesting point. Um, so let's talk about who should actually be using creatine. So we touched briefly on the fact that it's really versatile um, and even outside of the gym, it does have its uses. Um, but when we're thinking just from an athletic and performance perspective, I don't think there is realistically any sport where I wouldn't be recommending creatine. What are your thoughts on like endurance athletes taking like marathon runners? I think it still makes sense when you think about its applications for like even recovery and yeah. muscle recovery. I think maybe endurance athletes, I don't know, maybe they won't benefit from it directly. as much or directly. Yeah. Um, but I still think there's a benefit there in it, in it being worth taking. Yeah, I definitely sure. see like an indirect benefit. Like, yeah, I think part of the question comes down to like, do we think water weight hangs around? Yes. Because if there's no direct benefit and water weight hangs around, like say somebody gains two kilos and that's not like contractile muscle tissue that helps their performance. Um, but I don't know fully where I stand on that. My current stance is that like, yeah, your weight does increase a little bit. And if you take creatine for over a month, for example, mm -hmm. I think the water weight balances out just due to how water homeostasis works. But I'm happy to be wrong on that one as well. But like that's, I didn't used to think that, but over the last year I've changed my thinking towards that, which would make it more applicable to endurance athletes. Yeah. And I, I think in my experience, even tracking people's weight when they do start creatine, I mean, I've not come across a particular scenario where I've seen an athlete's weight spike really drastically, like over a kilo. Yeah. I, what's your experience being personally, with that? Yeah. Personal experience, I don't actually see it going much over a kilo. Some of the larger people I've worked with, yeah, maybe, but like, the research does seem to show that I just haven't seen that in practice with people. Yeah, no, I understand that for sure. Um, so in talking more about who it's relevant to, I think the, the idea of can we just get it through diet does come up a fair bit. So like, oh, you know, I eat a ton of red meat that contains creatine. Do I actually need to supplement with it as well? Um, and my thoughts on that is that a normal diet – so like normal omnivorous, omnivorous diet contains like one to two grams of creatine per day. Um, and we're looking for three to five grams a day in regards to supplementation. So even if you are eating red meat, you're eating seafood regularly multiple times a day, I still think it makes sense to supplement with creatine. Um, I guess technically you could get enough through red meat. Um, but your intake of red meat would have to be so above what is recommended for health that why would you even attempt yeah. to do that? Have you ever seen someone attempt to do it? I haven't seen them attempt to do it for that purpose. So my understanding it is, is it is about one kilo of red meat per day. I could be wrong in that, but it's a pretty high number yeah. you actually have to get to. And yeah, I have had some clients do that. Like I've had people have like 500 grams at lunch and 500 grams at dinner, yeah. like in that kind of strongman or maybe even powerlifting space as well. But like, it's so rare to see that, as you said, talking from a health perspective and then ethical perspective and then like there's a whole bunch of stuff that's like you have to totally. really go out of your way to do that and if you are doing that it's not for the small benefit of creatine you're doing it for other reasons most likely yeah and on the flip side to that is plant-based people so i'm plant-based um so i've really gone down this this rabbit hole of, of creatine supplementation within vegans and people that don't eat 
animal products. Um, and the research does show that vegetarians and vegans do tend to have lower creatine stores in their muscle um, and that they could actually benefit more from supplementation than people that are eating meat on a regular basis. So I think that's quite interesting because the application there for vegan athletes is really quite strong um, and there's a really strong argument for, for vegan athletes to be taking it in general. Um, so talking more about like the athletic context, we talked a little bit about endurance sports. Yeah, there could be um, definitely a secondary uh, reason for for taking creatine, but it is definitely relevant to strength sports. So obviously we work with powerlifters and different kinds of strength athletes. Um, and if you're not taking creatine, you're just like missing out on this one easy thing that you you could absolutely be doing to boost your performance. Um, and like Aiden said before, it's it's probably more than than like that one to three percent we talk about. It could potentially be more specifically if you are just starting out in in a strength sport. For sure. And even in terms of those other applications, like we do have things like rehab. And if you play another sport that creatine, like including endurance stuff, but like any other sport that creatine might not directly help. If there is any kind of strength training or resistance training or anything involving muscle building or anything like that, it makes sense to do that. Like rehab protocols do actually seem to be improved with creatine supplementation. Anytime you get an injury, it makes sense to have that. There is some interesting research. I don't know how much I buy into it, but like, for example, when people say tear an ACL and then they get immobilized, we know that people lose quad size really, really quickly. But the research on taking creatine during that time frame or before that time frame, just before you get immobilized, seems to prevent some of that muscle loss. And if you lose less muscle while being immobilized, you could probably return to sport a little bit quicker. Yeah, that's always going to be what you want, right? To lose the least amount of muscle when when you're not training. Um, so creatine does have that uh, relevance as well. Um, outside of that, what I think is interesting about creatine supplementation is its relevance to concussions. So I, I see it talked about a lot in like the combat sports community. Um, so obviously in combat sports, you can get the benefit of creatine um, in regards to like that quick energy production. That's obviously relevant to combat sports, um, but it could actually uh, reduce the risk of, of what happens after concussion. Yeah, and like even as a, as a question for you, because like I sometimes take creatine out during weight cuts and everything like that. Yeah. You'd really want it in your system if you're going into a fight where there's a chance of getting concussed. Like it's a difficult yeah. kind of balance being like, well, we've got to make weight. But like in a perfect world, every time you go in a position where you've got a good chance of getting concussed, you want creatine in your system. Yeah, we know there's a, a pretty good link between like brain health and and having creatine. So if you're going to get hit in the head multiple times, like I think I, I'd want creatine yeah. in my system for that as a bit of like a, a safety net. Um, and we know there is some good research there for creatine in that application. Um, so when we're thinking about weight cuts and cutting creatine, it's always, for me, it's one of those, like, if we need to, I will, but I'd prefer not to, particularly in, like, a contact sport. Yeah. And then brain stuff. Would If you didn't lift, would you take creatine still? Only because I'm plant-based. Yeah. I think there's definitely, for someone that doesn't eat any animal products, I think there's an argument for brain health and creatine supplementation. Yeah. Yeah, I completely agree. Like, if I was plant-based and I didn't lift, I'd probably still take creatine. Yeah. Without that aspect, probably not. Like there is, it, it has got evidence showing it improves memory. I obviously care about that. Like that's something that's really important to me. I probably wouldn't take creatine just for that. There is evidence of it helping to prevent Alzheimer's. If you were somebody who was at risk of that and like 
more concerned about that than the average person. It's such an easy thing to add. And then another thing to think about is that it seems to be pretty helpful for people who are elderly as well for a few reasons. One, it can help prevent just that natural muscle wasting that occurs over the years. It can help prevent some of that. It can help preserve some lean mass and strength. But then an example I've heard somebody else talk about is like when you get pretty old, how long does it take to get out of a chair? Yeah, I mean, it, it depends on the person, right? It becomes near a 10-second event, so it's yeah, like, that's the kind true. of thing creatine matters for. Like, I don't think that's a big <laughs> aspect, and, like, I wouldn't actually, like, I'm not out here trying to get, like, my grandparents on or anything yeah. like that, but I have heard other sports dietitians, which is why I use that example, sure. be like, yeah, I've got my grandparents on creatine for this very reason. Yeah, and I think, I mean, in that case, I'd probably try to be more active throughout my life to yeah, sustain that, that <laughs> muscle. But yeah, look, if you can just take something once a day and it's going to help reduce muscle wasting, it makes yeah. sense to do it. Easy win. Sure. Cool. So in terms of how to take it, dosage and form, as we said, or as Leah said at the start of the podcast, we're talking about creatine monohydrate. Um, I'm pretty, like, I actually haven't looked too far into the other creatine forms. I've tried, but it's so boring to me because it is very, very clear that other forms of creatine at best are as good as creatine monohydrate. Yeah. Like they, that some of them are worse, but at best they're as good. And like, because I'm so outcome focused, I only care about what is going to help people. I don't want to spend too much time looking into other things that aren't going to. So it's just doing due diligence just to be like, I've got to try and do my job. But like, that, that's all I'm really trying to do with that. So creatine monohydrate is definitely the type that I recommend. The standard dosage is typically called five grams per day. Um, but it really depends because really for the average 80 kilo person, it probably takes about three grams of creatine per day to get to and maintain that saturation level which is what we're trying to achieve we're trying to um saturate our muscles with creatine the maximum amount that we can hold is really the goal and it seems to take about 30 days of loading in that format do you do loading phases or anything like that i don't i find it really impractical for a lot of my clients like so i mean you could do that fast loading where you do the 20 grams a day and sure you could probably take that all in one hit but the chances of like gastrointestinal yeah. distress are well, I guess not high, but it's just dependent. Like some people are going to have bad reactions to taking that much in one sitting. Um, but you could do it, you know, five grams times four times a day. That's I find that so impractical. No one realistically does it. So yeah. Yeah, I never do like the fast loading aspect of creatine. I'm like, look, let's just do slow loading. And after four weeks, we'll see your, like the performance benefit from it. This is an extra few weeks. For sure, yeah. And, like, I have a, I have a slightly different opinion. Like, I, I always put it into my plans for clients being, like, optional loading phase, 20 grams per day, five to seven days. Um, the research on, like, gastrointestinal distress is is really interesting because it doesn't actually line up with, with practical experiences from what I find. That's what I find so interesting. Mm. Yeah, it seems like, like, in, in the research, it's like, yeah, it's so rare to get gastrointestinal distress. Whereas, like, with clients, like, I, I think it's, like, one in three, maybe even higher seem to report it at 20 grams. Um even lower, some people at five grams seem to notice it. But that's another point that's like, okay, average 80 kilo person probably requires about three grams per day. A lot of companies will just say five because it just covers everybody. Like what if you're a 100 plus kilo lifter? Like it makes sense to have five just to cover that. There's no real downside. Outside of the tiny chance of gastrointestinal distress as it gets a little bit higher, the difference between three grams and five grams isn't a lot. But if you're somebody who's prone to that, wouldn't you use the minimum effective dosage? Like wouldn't you use... If three grams seems to cover it and you were, say, 80 kilos, you would use that. If you were 60 kilos, wouldn't you use, like, 2.5 or something like that? Like, you'd use the smallest amount that you really need 
to get to that level. I don't know if you know this, but in re- it kind of just came to my mind, but in the research, when they're talking about that three to five gram dosage, is that on top of like the usual dietary yeah, intake? Yeah, so it's basically yeah. assuming that you're doing it. So it's just the supplemental dosage, yeah. yeah. So with all my plant-based people, I tend to go for that higher end, even if they are a smaller person. It makes sense. they're just not getting any through their diet or, or that's my reasoning behind it. Yeah, for sure. In terms of other stuff, because I get a lot of questions about like, should I have it... Um, pre-workout, post-workout, with carbs, whatever. And it's a it's a borderline frustrating one to answer because there's a grain of truth behind like those things actually do matter. So like oftentimes I brush it off and sometimes I feel like do people like walk away thinking oh, I'm the idiot and I just haven't read the research. <laughs> like, but basically the grain of truth is that it is actually better absorbed around the time you work out, pre-workout or post-workout. If you actually look at the outcomes, which is obviously what we care about in terms of like muscle growth and strength performance and stuff like that, the studies they've used at post-workout seem to get better lean mass gains and better strength outcomes than even the studies that use a pre-workout, which is interesting, but like I'm not really sold on that. Like I, I don't think that matters that much, but we know it is better absorbed if you do that. Another thing we know is it's better absorbed if you have it alongside carbohydrates. So the study is using quite a lot of carbs. They often use like 100 grams of carbohydrate show that you absorb it better. Other studies have even tried using protein alongside that because protein can like spike insulin because that's the thing we're talking about. Like we're talking about insulin allowing you to get more creatine into your system. Protein also spikes creatine. So you could have 50 grams of protein and 50 grams of carbs, which is what they've done in research. And that comes out the same as 100 grams of carbs. My big thoughts on this topic though, uh, one, you're going to reach the saturation point regardless. Like I I don't think you need to cycle on and off creatine, which we, we could talk about that later, but... I, I don't think you need to cycle on and off creatine. Yeah, I agree. It's it's naturally in food anyway. <laughs> like yeah. you're not going to cycle on and off with your food intake, um, and it's hard to rebuild the habit after you stop as well. Yeah, because it's the consistency that matters. So you want to be consistent with your your creatine supplementation, so you keep that optimal saturation in the muscle. So anything that's going to stop you from being consistent mm-hmm. is just working against you in regards to creatine supplementation. So I definitely agree. Whilst like having carbs and and doing it post-workout is slightly better. If there's another part of the day where you can be more consistent with your intake, that would be what I would go for. For sure. And most people don't train every day as well. So it's like if you have a rest day and you've linked it with your workout every other day, you might forget to take it, for example. And yeah, so these things do help you absorb it. But if you're going to reach it regardless, it really does not matter. So I just say have it whenever. But that's what I'm getting at. There is a grain of truth behind it. If you were trying to absolutely maximize your absorption, Firstly, you would be doing the loading phase to start off with to maximize getting to that point and you would do this as well. But the big thing is we know creatine, I say that 2 to 3% benefit, maybe it's 8% or whatever. But like, do you really want to adjust your diet? Like, do you want to add in 100 grams of sugar to, to facilitate this creatine? Like, if you have to make a change to your diet to allow it, you're probably making a bigger difference through that than you are getting in terms of gain from the creatine it makes more sense to just take the creatine consistently. And if you happen to line it up like with your post-workout or whatever, that makes sense. But I'd rather just have it consistently at whatever time works. Yeah, like for me personally, I know that I have pretty much a protein smoothie every day at around 10 a.m. And I always put my creatine in there Um, because I know I do that pretty much seven days a week. Um, So whilst, yeah, I could do it post-workout on the days I do train, I I don't do it because like looking at the research, to me, it doesn't. It doesn't make the difference. Yeah, very similar. Uh, So let's touch on safety in regards to creatine monohydrate. So we do know that creatine is very safe. So like you said before, there's like 
a decade plus of research telling us very strongly that creatine is a safe supplement to take for pretty much everybody. Um, Is there anybody that you would specifically rule out of taking creatine? That's a good question. Um, I, I don't know who I'd rule out. Do you, if you have like a teen athlete, would you recommend it to them? Yeah, that's a hard one. So like, I don't, I don't recommend it, but if they're like, I want to take this, I say yes. Um, In a lot of cases, like that's just a thought that like, it's just a, just a bias, honestly. Like it's just a bias. Like I don't think young athletes should be having a lot of supplements or anything like that, but we know it's safe. Like we know it's safe. Yeah. Yeah. I thought, I just thought that was interesting because yeah, I don't personally recommend it to my teen athletes, but I guess there's no research telling us that it isn't safe for them. Yeah. Um, So yeah, it is a little bit of a bias, I suppose I just thought of. Um, But when we're talking about creatine, the things that do typically come up um, is that gastrointestinal distress. So I personally have many times have run into a client who was like, I'm taking three grams a day and I'm getting gastrointestinal distress. And I'm like, okay, I don't know how. (laughs) It doesn't make a lot of sense um, because the research would tell us that GI distress and creatine supplementation are not that linked. But in my experience, it can be quite frequent, usually when it's the fast loading as opposed to the daily dose. But yeah, even sometimes when we're taking that three to five grams, some people, particularly ones that have IBS or some other issues, do run into some GI distress. Um, Although part of me thinks that because I think in our heads we do, when we're in the like athletic world, we've heard of creatine and we've heard that it might cause some GI distress. So I think maybe having a bit of that fear already in your head can sometimes create or be yeah, the problem behind stuff, it. Yeah. yeah. Um, so there is that. Uh, and then the second thing we briefly touched on before is the water weight that you might gain uh, when you do start taking creatine. So whether or not that water gain is transient or long-term, we're not really sure. Um, but for most people, I feel like it's not going to be an issue. Definitely not going to be an issue health-wise. Um, but even when we're thinking, like, if there's an extra kilo on a powerlifter, and they're taking creatine, that's not going to make a huge difference to the bottom yeah. line. I, I still find, because I, like, I work, say, lower level powerlifters and more so females, I still find like a lot of people freak out if their weight changes, if they like watch. Oh, 100%. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, as soon as I say, oh, look, because I always give that caveat, yeah. right, of like, so your, wi- your weight may um, spike, you know, uh, between 500 grams to almost up to ki- two kilos, maybe, um, if you're doing that fast loading or within that first four weeks when you are building up your saturation. Um, and I'm like, oh, you know, it's nothing to worry about. It's fine. Yeah. Uh, but they'll be like, oh, I'm not taking it then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And another thing I used to say up until this year to try and alleviate that kind of fear a little bit is I used to say it's all intracellular. It's all intramuscular mm. water. It's all inside our muscles. It's basically like having bigger muscles. And that was my easy sell because it's like anyone who's trying to gain muscle, like it, it's a good thing. Like It's all inside our muscles. But I, I don't know where exactly I stand on that because it seems to be a bit more complex than that. Obviously, everything in nutrition is never that simple. Yeah. And it's like, it's not all intracellular. Some of it is extracellular. It's just how much. Some show as much as a 50-50 ratio. Some show that's in favor of intracellular. So like... The big thing to come back to is it doesn't make you look bloated. It doesn't make you look puffy. It doesn't like affect how you look in a negative way. Even if it's a 50-50 ratio, it doesn't really change how you look at all. 
It is literally just the scale changes. That's it's all. It's just a little bit of scale weight, um, which I know does mess with some people. Yeah. Um, so I, I completely am compassionate about that um, and people's relationship with scale weight. Uh, but look, putting on a little bit of water weight for the benefit you're going to get from creatine, it just makes so much sense to, to well take creatine. Um, I remember when I was like 15, when I first heard about creatine, like the water weight was the first thing I heard about. People would be like, oh, yeah, he just started taking creatine. That's why he looks like all puffy and has a moon face. Yeah. I'm like, it, it does not it have do that, that kind of effect. No way. Yeah. Cool. So then the, the next thing to talk about in terms of safety or two biggest concerns, one is kidneys. So one really interesting about creatine is it increases creatinine on a blood test. And creatinine is often considered a marker of kidney function. We know as a bit of a factual statement that the increase in creatinine related to creatine doesn't affect kidney function at all. It's 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 like a red herring. Like it, it might pop up on the blood test saying that you've got high creatinine and that's a sign of kidney dysfunction, but the creatine hasn't actually caused any issues. So it's pretty confusing to interpret and you need you need doctors that actually understand that because otherwise they might freak out. Um, yeah, interesting in regards to doctors. I actually had a medical doctor as a client a while ago. Um, and when I mentioned taking creatine because he was getting into strength training, he was like, oh, no, it damages your kidney health. It increased. Last time I took it, it increased my like creatinine. My creatinine. Yeah. And I'm, I was like, wow. So even a medical doctor doesn't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we can't really expect them to know the ins and outs of like of niche course, supplements. But like, yeah. Um, the other big concern is hair loss. So this is this comes up all the time, and I understand where the concern comes from, but it's based on one study. So there literally is only one study that's ever been done on this topic, and it's from 2009, so it's a long time ago, and it included 20 rugby players, and they did seven days of loading creatine, and after seven days, their DHT, so dehydrotestosterone, increased by 56%, and after two more weeks where they dropped back to mansion, so they did a loading dose to start off with, it was 40% elevated. They didn't measure hair loss. Like, they, they just measured DHT. And DHT, like, elevated DHT is linked with hair loss. That is all we've got. But, like, as, as we were speaking about earlier, like, hormones can fluctuate up and down. And, like, one study with 20 people where there's an elevation in that, like, if it said that their testosterone had increased by 56%, I, I would have been like, I, I don't think that's what's happened. Like, like I would dismiss it almost completely because we have other studies on creatine and testosterone and it doesn't seem to be a link. But like, we don't have any other studies on creatine and DHT and we have no studies on creatine and hair loss. This has been a concern for the entire time that I've been lifting. It's, it's been a long time that this has been going on for and it has not been studied since. My thoughts are the reason it has not been studied since is because anybody who spends time looking at this space has probably come to the conclusion that they don't think it's going to lead to hair loss. I do understand the concern because it's like, well, DHT linked with hair loss, if I was losing my hair, I'd probably be a little bit more concerned than I am. Yeah. <laughs> like, I, I think that's fair. But from the outside perspective, I don't see any concerns based on what research I have seen and being in and around the community. There's nothing to kind of convince me to be concerned about that. Yeah. So I guess in summary, uh, creatine supplementation is not going to make you puffy and bald um, <laughs> would be my takeaway from that. Yeah, for sure. So yeah, creatine is something that is relatively easy to do. It is very cheap and it's probably one of the easiest wins you will get for improving your performance. That'll wrap up today's episode. So this has been episode 14 and thank you to everybody who has been listening so far. Uh-huh.